Hey guys, thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Brown, with your co-host, Dr. Jeff Cole. I am very excited for uh, the two guests that we have with us today, Sharla and Keith Bartosi, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Intiscope. Intiscope is a company that's bringing a new airway device for first responders to the market. Keith and Sharla, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. I'd like to immediately go into your description of the product, uh, Keith or Charlotte. Okay. Um, so Intiscope is an intuitive intubation device is what I like to call it. But uh, it, uh, it is different than your standard laryngoscope that's been around since the 1940s in that instead of using your strength and it is a direct visualization device. Instead of using your strength to pull up to visualize the vocal cords, you actually have a mechanical advantage. So it uh, it's similar in the fact that it has a blade and a handle, but it also has two levers and it has what I call a hard palate support piece that it basically uses leverage against the roof of the mouth or the hard palate to open the airway so you can visualize the uh, trachea and do a oral tracheal intubation. Interesting. And I think when you talk about need, um, I mean, a lot of intubations can be tricky, especially in the field. What, what, what further thoughts do you have on that? Yeah. A couple of things on that. Um, one thing is the anatomy of the patient <laughs> plays a big role in how difficult an intubation is. Um, there's other factors, especially in the pre-hospital setting, uh, which obviously being, uh, having my background as a fireman, the pre-hospital setting is where this was born. And um, that's where I saw a need because of the difficulty of an intubation when someone is on the ground versus a, an operating table uh, they're on a medical scene, maybe on the side of the road. Um, but, uh, there's just a lot of factors that go into it. Intiscope was actually born from a failed intubation attempt. It was one of those difficult in the field innovations. And, um, and it, it was a tough one and, and he wasn't able to get it done and he couldn't let it go. And he, he said, there's got to be a better way. And, it just, he, he couldn't let it go. And so that's how, that's how Endoscope came to be. Yeah. And I can, I can tell that story briefly if you, if you sure. want to hear it. But, um, so I actually started in the fire service a little bit later in life and I found myself uh, uh, changing careers in my mid thirties and uh, uh, successfully ended up on a local fire department, local Memphis area fire department. I was the paramedic on the engine one day and uh, we made a call. And it was one of those calls that you really want to be successful because it was a 55 year old male. Uh, the report was CPR was in progress and he wasn't breathing. And so when you're on the way to the scene like that, you're thinking, I'm going to save this guy. Right. And that's just, I mean, you know, not that we don't try to save everybody, but he's only 55. And, you know, we're going to go find out why this guy's not breathing. We're going to fix him. Well, I walked in. It was an office building and they waved us in. We were the first ones on the scene. I could see them doing CPR on this guy. And he was one of those big 
you know, he looked like a football player, big guy, short neck, muscular. Um, and so I knew it was going to be a difficult innovation. So I got down on the floor with him and, you know, my, my lieutenant at the time handed me the standard laryngoscope that I was talking about, the 1940s technology. I sweep the tongue like I'd been doing. You know, I was very successful at innovations. That's why I always did them. One of the best. Um, I was, I think I had not until that patient had not failed an innovation. Uh, so, and had done a bunch of them. So I, at the time, I'm 6'3", early on in my career, 230 pounds, pretty strong, worked out all the time takes a lot of strength to take that blade and pull that tongue up out of the way to see that trachea. And I just couldn't do it. Uh, I tried three times and failed. We ended up losing that patient. And so I went back to the fire station and I just, uh, it, one thing, it was my first failure. And I, I didn't like that at all, especially with him being so young. And I was just, I, I kept thinking there's gotta be some better way than that. And uh, that's when I came up with the, the idea of using the hard palate to basically use as a me mechanical advantage point to uh, push against and open the airway. So now you just you sweep the tongue and you squeeze a trigger. You sweep, you squeeze a lever and these two operating arms spread that thing apart and you can see the trachea right there. So are there some controls on how much pressure is, is placed? Is there a way to get into trouble with too much pressure? You know, the hard palate is exactly what it is. It's a very hard structure. Obviously, it's a bone. It's I mean, it's it's not going anywhere. When you think about what you're pressing against with it being such a rigid structure in the roof of the mouth and everything in the area of your trachea and your lower jaw and everything is much more pliable than that than that roof of your mouth. So that moves instead of the roof of the mouth. So you just control it basically with the squeeze of your hand and it doesn't take near as much pressure as you would think. You just squeeze it until you see it. And uh, it actually has another advantage, which it, it actually protects the teeth because of the way the hard palate support is positioned. So once you activate it and squeeze the trigger, you can actually rock back a little bit and look around the look around the area and and locate that trachea and those vocal cords uh which is something you can't do with a with the old technology because you're you'll you might damage the teeth of the gums so well, with this being new technology uh do you have patents in place or what what uh we do have a utility patent we uh this is the first time we've done anything like this, done a startup or had a product like this. And so we applied for a patent very early on in the process. I mean, I, I basically had just drawings on a piece of paper that I took to the patent office. And we started that process very early on. We actually got our utility patent uh, March of 2020. So, and we have a European patent that's applied for that we are. And Canadian. And Canadian. And, uh, we're hoping that they see everything exactly like the U.S. Patent Office did, which is, you know, I, I understand that's the case a lot of times. So we're hopeful that we're going to get those as well. So that's excellent. With those <clears throat> with those patents in place, um, do you have any sales projections uh, for when you start producing this device and onward? Yes, we do. And of course, 
so when you look at innovations and and there's 16.5 million innovations a year in the United States. Um, three million of those are failed first attempts. So three million times a year in the United States, pre-hospital and hospital, they're failing that first attempt. Um, and so we feel like our low-hanging fruit uh, for our golden market strategy is going to be a unscheduled pre-hospital innovation, which in that field, you're looking at 88,000 ambulances, 150,000 fire trucks, 40,000 military vehicles. And that's going to be our target audience for this product when we go to market. Phase one. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be phase one. <laughs> of course, we're going after the hospitals and the surgery centers and the, you know, um, you got minor meds that are required to have a crash cart with an innovation device on them. I mean, we're going after all that market, but uh, our projections are once we get to revenue stage, which we're hoping early 24 uh, that we're going to be there. We're talking about a 25 to $30 million market in five years revenue for Interscope in, in the first five years. So, uh, that's kind of where we're at and what we're shooting for. And that's, like I said, that's not taking into account any hospitals or anything else. That's all pre-hospital market. And that's U.S. market. U.S. only. Correct. Correct. Exactly. Well, if you truly have a, a, a better widget, I, I can see how you may not have to sell the hospitals, right? They're going to. Right. And uh, they're going to want, they're going to want on board. Exactly. Yeah. And you know how word of mouth is in the medical Field. I mean, it just, it gets, word gets around. We've quickly. already experienced quite a bit of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we have. We've got a lot of people that I run into in the fire service and uh, just a lot of different places that are going, when, when, when can I get my hands on it? When can I get my hands on it? Uh, Which but, brings uh, up a great next question. What, what is, what, what do you see as availability even in, in a test market situation or? Well, we are in the final design phase right now. Of course, you know, anytime you've got a new product, you always have little tweaks that to do on the design. And we're we are really close to the design freeze. We hope to be finished with that and moving on through some testing. And we hope early 24, we're going to be in the phase of our company where we're doing marketing, uh, distribution and sales channels. So early 24 is what our goal is. So. That brings up a good point. Tell me more about how you plan on marketing this device and what your sales channels look like. Sure. Um, so we're kind of going with, we are a startup. So, you know, that plays a factor. Uh, we've only got so much money for sales. Uh, but what we've found is word of mouth has we've had like charla said we've had success already uh we've got i've got people from different fire departments around the memphis area that like i said they're asking me when can i get my hands on it and we've got people all the way down to texas that are just waiting to put this thing in service we are going to go with kind of a grassroots approach uh we're going to start out with local here and like i said we've got a we've got a, a regional here and then regional in uh we've got we've already got that in place in texas 
we do have a couple of people that uh, we're going to send out in the field that have had great success in that kind of approach. And they are, they are uh, experienced in the approach that we're taking. They're, they're experienced in getting in the fire stations and getting in the, uh, you know, anywhere that, you know, ambulances, ambulance services, and getting in there and showing products and getting people on board and, and uh, selling products. So that's kind of going to be our approach. Excellent. Um, and we feel really good about it. Are you aware of any competitors or anybody else with a with something similar? Of course, you've got the 1940s technology, which, uh, you know, it's on one end of the spectrum. You've got video scopes on the total other end. And then we're in the middle somewhere with as far as, you know, the video scopes are not a direct visualization. The 1940s technology is. And so we really don't have any competition. Once, once we hit the market, we feel like we're just going to take over the, the direct visualization market. They're just, they're, there's not going to be any need to, to, to purchase anything else. And we've got a price point that we feel like is going to be very reasonable. And uh, from, from the feedback I'm getting from the people that do the purchasing on the local fire departments, they're like, absolutely. Um, because we're going to be somewhere, we're going to be more expensive than that 90, 1940s technology, but we're going to be way less than the video scopes. Uh, my just just a quick story. My EMS director at the fire department I work for, he came in not too long ago and he said he had one of the video scopes in his hand. And he said, give me one reason why I should keep buying these expensive video scopes that y'all don't use and you keep breaking. And they are expensive to replace. And I was like. Can you say that again and let me get that <laughs> on my phone and get that on recording? Yeah. But, uh, so we're going to be somewhere price point in the middle. I think we're going to be in a good spot where we've got just no, nobody, no competition. So who's helping you? What's your executive team look like? So we've got uh, local investors. Um, We've got a gentleman by the name of Robert Longfield that's on our board of directors. We have a management team as well as uh, Sage Medical, or, or I'm sorry, Sage, Sage Business Advisors. Sage Business Advisors are they, are, they have an investment side and a management side. They're also our management team, but they're investors. Um, and then we have the, we've got a group down in Texas that's, uh, retired fire and some of them I think are still uh, active service, but um, uh, we got a group down in Texas that are investors. So and we have Merge Medical Device Studio um, who is not right associated with you in any way, but um, they are doing our engineering and prototyping. Yeah. And of course, Charla and I are still active. I mean, we're the, we're the co-founders. She acts as the CEO. I'm the, I'm the technology person. Uh, and of course we're, we're, we both are, you know, heavily involved. So, um, that's, that's kind of our, that's kind of our team right there. So, so Keith, <clears throat> of course, uh, a lot of the viewers would know I'm an anesthesiologist. I'm always interested in any kind of airway device. Describe for me, and this is the opportunity where we can go back through these questions and 
maybe get a little more deeper into the topics. What other than anatomy issues in a first responder environment do you encounter? And why does this device help you overcome those obstacles? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you, the, the pre-hospital setting versus the hospital setting, you know, you, you can put a patient at the perfect height. You can have perfect lighting. Uh, you can tilt that patient up and down and position them exactly how you want them. You can't do that in a pre-hospital setting. Um, I would say most of the time our patients are on the floor uh, because we're likely to be doing CPR or they've fallen or been injured and they're already on the ground. Um, they could be in a car. I've actually hung through a sunroof before uh, to innovate somebody from the, from the, from the sunroof on the outside of the car because we wow. can get the doors open. So that's a big factor. You also have weather factors. If you're on a car, if you're on a scene and you're out in the elements and it's raining, uh, or even if it's really humid, you're going to have trouble with a device that is not direct visualization. If you're looking through a camera and a lens and you're in that environment, it can be very difficult. But I would say that, and then you take into account that, um, you know, there's a lot of stressors that go in sometimes when you're a fireman versus being in a, a quiet setting like a hospital. You've got cars going by, you know, there's always spectators and people uh, watching you. Nowadays, everybody's filming you. Um, there's always people standing around. You don't know who they are. They may be friends and family. They may be just somebody that works with this person. And so it adds, it's a lot of stressors that are added. And, you know, you, you, you talk about a car wreck or something and you've got cars going by, you've got police <coughs> presence, you've got uh, other fire equipment, lights going off. Uh, it can, it can be very chaotic is the way I would describe some scenes that we, uh, you know, have to innovate somebody on. The, the great thing about Intiscope though, uh, it, the position of the patient is a lot less of a factor with mm. endoscope because mm. you're sweeping that tongue and you don't have to get in that perfect position where you're tilting the head back and where you can get your strength and pull up with that arm. You're, you don't have to do any of that. You sweep right. the tongue and you squeeze the lever. And so. since a lot of our viewers will be anesthesiologists, CRNAs, ENT, they're airway folks. And you, I just want to make the point that you and I had talked offline about the presence of blood or vomit secretions in the airway that we don't often see in the OR because like you said, it's a controlled setting. Right. And I know in the times that I've had blood in an airway with, with uh, the video scopes, you, they're almost useless because it obscures the lens of the device where you, you don't have that with this device, right? That is correct. Uh, and, uh, you know, that brings something else to mind. And that is the fact that, um, you know, even though there's 16.5 million innovations a year, you have to be the paramedic that's the first responder, the first one on the scene that gets the laryngoscope in your hand. I mean, there's the, 
there's there's times when you go months without intubating somebody. So in the pre-hospital field, even though we do a lot of intubations, it's, you know, you may go a lot and skill decay is a real thing because it just like they say about everything else, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so, I mean, we may go, like I said, months without intubating somebody. This kind of takes that train. Once you learn how to use the, the intoscope, it's like the, it's, it's not hard to train somebody to do it. Anybody with any experience intubating somebody, I can teach them how to use this thing in five minutes and they will never lose it. Because very it's, intuitive. it's very intuitive and it's very easy to use. Hence so, the intoscope. Yeah. Right. Hence the intoscope. right. Is, that, is that where that came from? That is that right? That, it, you know, it is that, and it's a play on words. Intubation. Uh, innovation and Lorenzoscope. Uh, that's clever. I like that. Intuitive. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of how we came <laughs> up with that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, you're, we've tested this down at the Medical Research Institute lab down in Memphis and had great success with it. Um, that's where a lot of the test, that's where a lot of the training takes place for like video scopes and things. And that's one thing it's very expensive to rent that place out and fire departments and pre-hospital, they're just not going to spend thousands of dollars uh, for somebody to go train on a video scope. So what they're going to do is they're going to take a mannequin and you're going to innovate a mannequin with your video scope. And of course the mannequin has no fluids. It's dry. There's no right. condensation. It's way easier than, you know, a real person. Right. So that's a factor as well. People, it has a certain wow factor to it. Um, when Keith has tested it, you know, he's taken some people that have been a bit skeptical, you know, how, how is this better than a video scope or, you know, you'll, you'll never get video scopes out of people's hands and, and they walk down and, and Keith will hand it to them. Like I said, the intuitive, uh, just hand it to them and they, they go, what? It works. I can see it. I can, and they started calling people over from like the clinic. Come, yeah. come look at this. Here, you try, you try. And you know, people they're they're impressed. They're I can't believe it. And then and then there's always the why didn't I think of that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because yeah, it is. I mean, it's a simple concept. Um, but uh there's actually what she's talking about. There was an instance where uh our our medical director was very impressed with it and so he started calling people anybody that was in the mary lab that day he was calling over there hey come check this out that was before we had a patent yeah. and i was i was he was <laughs> he was, he was making me nervous because he was calling everybody over there to look at it and i imagine we've all looked at many things and said wow why didn't i think of that right as yeah. most great inventions are that way it seems i've heard that multiple times so, well, the yeah. purpose of this this podcast series that Jeff and I are doing is to to find compelling and interesting companies, and um, I think you guys fit the bill. Uh, what a lot of listeners are going to be thinking is, "Hey, can I get a piece of this? Um, what 100%. tell me about your capital structure, and um, what do you foresee in the future? Is, is Sage going to going to hang on to all this, or are you going to have an opportunity for physician investors to to get involved?" We do. Um, we actually, we feel like we're really close to being funded to the revenue stage, but at the same time, we decided to leave 
our investment round open, the we first round open. So everybody can still get in uh, at the same rate as everybody previous. So anybody watching this will be a potential investor. So we will put that in the notes. We'll we'll get that verified with JT or Andrew. Spreadsheet guy. And it, yeah. it is it is a five million dollar post post money valuation. Yeah. I think one point to make also with our audience being uh, physicians and healthcare providers, um, you know, those are people that work in surgery centers, work in hospitals, those are decision makers um at various levels, you know, whether it's in the surgery center setting or whatever. So um you know, I think to have investors who are physicians who are also decision makers on the on the buy side um, could could be very helpful. Yeah, and yeah. we do we do have some have, some physicians that are investors as we well. Do. Yeah. Um, I want to go back and Keith, let you talk a little bit more about um, your background and, and why you did this. So, okay. I, I, I would like you. To tell the audience, you know, a little bit more about you, who you are, where you came from, and why this device is so important to you. Okay. So I grew up in the Memphis area. Uh, I left Memphis and went to college at Middle Tennessee State University. Found myself back here after college. Had a good job. Married four kids. Oldest oldest kid was 11 years old at the time. And Charla, we just, you know, we just thought, I just thought, well, this is my life. I was a construction superintendent. I had a, uh, you know, all the benefits and, you know, we were just, just going along and Charla was on the PTA. Well, she met a lady on the PTA that's husband was a fireman. And so I became friends with him through her. And then I met some more firemen and then we all realized that uh, we had common interests and started hanging out together. And I would be around all those guys and I'd be like, hear them talking about their stories. And, you know, anytime you're around, you get a couple of firemen in a the room, they're going to start telling stories. <laughs> so I just really, it was attractive to me. Um, and I just got to really take an inventory of what my life looked like and uh, what I wanted my legacy to be. And there was one instance that happened uh some of the firemen that i knew young girl comes walking up to one of them and she goes you probably don't remember me and he said i remember you amy he said i sure do and she said i cannot tell you how what it meant to me that you crawled in my car that was upside down on poplar avenue held my hand and talked to me. Wow. And yeah. while they were cutting me out of the car. Wow. And that's the moment that triggered it for me. I was like, I want to be that guy. That's awesome. Somebody. And so I went home one day and I told Charla, I said, Hey, I want to make a little career change. And I fully expected that she was going to tell me to put my big boy pants on and go to work the next day. You know? <laughs> when I told her I wanted to change careers at mid thirties and be a fireman. Wow. Well, instead she said, you know what? That is you. 
and I want you to do it. What do we have to do? And so I went to EMT school and I went to paramedic school and I joined the volunteer fire. I was pulling quadruple duty. I was working full time. I was in EMT school or paramedic school. And I was also a volunteer fireman and going through training there. So uh, that was a busy couple of years, but it really paid off. And uh, I ended up a full time uh, fireman. And I mean, I, here I am almost 14 years later. And every day I go to work, I love it. And I've had, I've actually had the privilege of having that moment that triggered it where somebody walked up to me. Wow. Somebody walked up to me in church one day and said, Hey, you don't remember our son. And I said, yes, I do. I said, yes, I do. Wow. And, uh, so it's just, it's been, I've been that passionate about it. And that's kind of what led me to the Intiscope is I, I didn't want to just accept the status quo. Uh, and I am, you know, I, like I said before, I, I had never failed in innovation and I really took it hard when I did. And we lost that guy that was 55 years old. And I, when, like I said, when we were on the way to that scene, I was going, I'm going to save this guy. And when they handed me that laryngoscope, I was like, Oh yes, I'm going to do the innovation because that's what I'm good at. And uh, I just really took that failure hard. And let it go. I would lay in the bed at the fire station and couldn't sleep for weeks. And then it just hit me one day. I kept thinking, well, I didn't have enough strength. I just, I didn't have enough strength. What could I do? What could I do? And then it just hit me one night. And he said it dawned on him. He, he kept replaying the scene over and over and over in his mind thinking, what could I have done different? What could I have done different? And it hit him all of a sudden. I did everything I could. There was nothing I couldn't I could have done different. Hmm. What I need is a better tool. Yeah. And, and that's exactly yeah. how yeah. it was born. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I mean, that's that's why I was so, you know, it did it doesn't you, you when you make a call like that, you have to go back to the station and you have to put it behind you and you have to uh, be ready because the next call comes in. It could come in in two minutes. It could come in anytime. So you got to put that behind you and be ready for the next one. But at the same time, you have quiet moments at the fire station too. When you're not training, you're not working out, you're not making calls. And every time I had a quiet moment at the fire station after that happened, I was like, I got to come up with something. I got to come up with something. And, and There's like got to be a better way. Yeah. And it just hit me one night. And I actually took that and I sketched out a patient a side view of a patient with their airway and everything. And I sketched out, I've still got this drawing and I sketched out the, uh, the first rendering of the endoscope. And I took that drawing and the first place we went was the patent office. And the second place we went, I had run across a guy that made aircraft parts. And I went to him and I said, I need you to make me a uh, device. And he said, I've never done this before, but okay. So we spent hours at his uh, CAD table, just designing this thing and going through. And uh, he, he did a 3d print was the first one that we had. And uh, it just went from there and went from there to a machine shop. And I mean, it was a while before we ran across, before we actually got anybody that made medical devices to make one. <laughs> so um it was, it was a process, but, uh, I mean, I'm just, that's kind of the story about why I'm so passionate about it right there. That's awesome. How did you, how did you link up with the merge people in Nashville 
and, and Sage? What, what was the, the sequence of events there? Well, we actually, like I said, Charlie and I never have had done a startup before. This is the first uh, product that I've ever invented. And so we didn't really know what to do. And we actually ran it. I mean, we just had people that just fell in our lap there for a while. And one of them introduced us to this person, to this person. And we ended up at Startco, which is a, it's like a incubator for startup companies. In it's like Memphis Shark Tank, right? Yeah. Yeah. And right. it was the zero to five, 10 K. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's like that, except for it can be any product. Uh, and so we went through the Startco program and that's where we started meeting people. And that's where we met Sage. And at the end of it, you do a presentation on your device. Uh, and they help you make a pitch deck through the program and everything. Well, when we did that pitch, uh, we started getting phone calls and Sage was one of our phone calls and merge was one of them. Um, we were working with merge pre that, um, we, we met them through the oh, that's right. guys, but, that's um, right. one of the guys at merge medical device studio had, had gone through the program, I think two that's years right. prior. And one of the people at, at Starco said, Hey, you know, he, he works for a medical device company that that's what they do is make medical devices. And he put yeah. us in touch, but it was Sage. They did see us on the present, the pitch, the pitch presentation yeah. and got in touch with us. Yeah. And so that's how all that came about. Yeah. That's great. So Keith, to summarize, this sounds like a product invented by a fireman for firemen and other first responders. It's a device that's, it sounds like to me is somewhat in between the oldest technology used to intubate and the newest technology, which are the video scopes. And in doing this, bringing this product to market, you've eliminated some of the disadvantages of the older technology, such as positioning and eliminated some of the disadvantages of the newer technology, such as foreign matter in the airway, blood secretions, vomit. So it sounds like you've created a device that's got the, a really a perfect harmony in particular for first responders that might have a patient in a, in a field or in a ditch or a trauma to a trauma to the airway. Am I, am I saying this correctly? Absolutely. You absolutely are. Would you like to be a spokesperson? <laughs> <laughs> you know um, I mean, the advantages go, I mean, th that's true. And I actually, I actually failed. The only other failed innovation I've had in, in recent years is was somebody who had had a spinal fusion and I couldn't tilt their head back at all. And, and so uh, you wouldn't need to. So with this intoscope, that would eliminate that problem, that, right? That would eliminate the need. You could actually deploy it without tilting the head way back. And I could have gotten that person innovated. I'm fairly certain as well. There's other benefits too. Um, it's so easy to use hence the name and hence it being intuitive so it's so easy to use that that skill decay is less of a factor you reduce those first time failure attempts in the field um the training time needed for it like i said is much less uh and you have costs associated with failed attempts hospital stays for everything from hospital stays to litigation and you're avoiding all that if you can get somebody and you know innovated quickly and the first time and then it may seem obvious to those of us that are familiar with it 
but I want to make sure the audience understands you're using traditional uh, endotracheal tubes for this. There's no special tube or anything required, right? Nothing special. Just the device is simply to open that airway so you can easily place that tube. And, and it's, it's battery powered with a light source? It does have a light source, yes. Um, we, uh, we've got, uh, it actually has, it's actually, we're, that's what we've been finalizing is the light source on it. And we've actually gone with a lot, instead of just one light, like the typical laryngoscope or the typical video scope, it has a series of lights in it, like a light strip. And it, it really puts a lot of light down there. So, and well, you bring up a good point um, with this using the traditional ET tube, it, it, and you're probably better to speak to this than I, but, but from my understanding, a lot of pre-hospital fire departments and ambulance units, they're, they're moving to that. And I don't, I don't really want to say the, the brand name that I know, but okay. the, yeah. <laughs> People are going to a lesser effective airway something that you place yeah. you 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 place it and it doesn't protect the airway from aspiration it it's not directly in the trachea but it's just a it's it's what you go to when you fail an innovation and now i think we, i think we, you guys talk about lmas exactly yes. yeah. yeah exactly but yeah. and we can we can talk about that and, and then, uh, yeah. because lmas don't protect the airway i mean you can ventilate through them but these are patients that are they're potentially full stomach. They're definitely not NPO. So any vomit or anything that comes up from the stomach can go down to the airway. With your device, you're putting a traditional ET tube, endotracheal tube, and it would protect the airway. And, and it's my exactly. understanding, and you would know better, um, but it's my understanding that when those are placed pre-hospital, once the patient arrives at the hospital, that you're actually removing That's that and then, and then actually intubating them with an E-tube. E uh, ET tube. Right. That, that's a really good point. It, I haven't, I have yet to take somebody in the ER and the doctor not pull that thing out immediately because they're not going to have somebody sitting in the ER that's not, that's airway is not protected. And those just don't do it. So, gotcha. so that is a good point. Yeah. They all, the doctor at the ER is going to take that thing out and innovate them. Right. So we eliminate all that step. And you hope he does it with Intiscope. I yeah. hope so. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'd like to be the weapon of choice. That, that, that'll be the easiest way to do it. I can promise you. Jeff, you have any other questions? I think this has been very educational. I kind of like my approach. I, I, I didn't know anything about your company, uh, oh. you know, and so um, I feel like our listeners are going to have the same wow factor with, with, with what I've learned. And so I really appreciate your time. I want to wish you luck. And uh, thank you. We appreciate the opportunity. Thank yeah, you very th much for thank you. Us. Thank you both for for putting this together and starting something like this. And thanks for having us on. We're just I mean, I, like I said, I'm really passionate about this. I'm, I'm excited most of all to get this thing in the hands of paramedics and doctors and people. And it's and it's, save some lives. Yeah. Save and some, save lives. some lives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it's going to be my legacy. So that's fantastic. Thank you. And Keith, I think this boy brings up, uh, you know, very pertinent points and some things we've thought about, you know, as we grow a physician and healthcare provider community, um, particularly if we grow that to a large number, 
you know there are there are people out there with ideas and and you really like like in your story struggle with what do i do so what we want to do through our website through our forum is is offer um offer information to people hopefully through you know formal uh, sponsors and partners and so uh, we're going to be reaching out to company like merge medical device studio to um you know to, to partner with us because we we'd like to to point uh, innovators to them there's another couple there's another couple companies i won't mention uh in a similar capacity you know that we that we're, we're planning to partner with so I think that's a, a helpful piece as we as we build out our our community. This is a wonderful thing. I mean, thank thanks again yeah. for for you guys putting this all together and, and starting this. It's going to be great for people like us. So thanks, guys. Very good. And, and with that, uh, I'm Dr. Jeff Brown with Merge Medical Podcasts. Your co-host, Dr. Jeff Cole and Keith and Charla Bartosi of Intiscope. Thanks for joining us. Mm -hmm.